Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we I mean, we work full time and this is this is a full time gig on top of it. And we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet talked the folks with speechtherapypd.com. And as a thank you giveaway, we have come up with a, a, a free pod course subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear. And that person will get a free PodCore subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, all things ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go, but once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And Seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina and a guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. 
In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields, or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee Byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So today's episode has the one and only lovely fighter and advocate that is Miss Danny Newcomb, MSCCC SLP, from the Messy SLP blog and Instagram. I first met this inspirational and fellow hashtag SLP of faith a few years ago when she was working with Leah and Julianne from the Southeastern Communication and Swallowing Specialist out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Now, if they sound familiar, they should. They were featured on episode 73, Private Practice Woes and Wows, and I was struck by Danny's zest for our profession, her strength in the face of adversity, and how she charged through fears with confidence and grace, all while sharing her personal stories on her blog that were raw and gritty and honest. And I crave that level of truth because none of us are perfect and it's in and through our cracks that we really can shine. Danny is as beautiful inside as she is outside and her path in our profession has been that of a cross country journey. And y'all, her journey is only in the beginning stages, but she's already moving mountains and it's really cool. And I am excited to see where it takes you, friend. It's going to be beautiful. So, Danny, before I really start crying, um, I really am so proud of you. Um, let me <laughs> let me thank you for coming on today and for your blog that um, when I am spent from pouring out always has a way of refilling my cup and hitting just at the moment that I need it. So um, also, which is why I read it right before bed. <laughs> <laughs> because then I'm like, okay, I'm emotionally done. But like, oh my God, I can see it. my favorites when you're like, I'm sitting here click clacking, typing away at my keys. And I see you with the click clack, clackety clack moo cow book going on in the background. And it's just, I love that combination cartoon in my head. So hello. Um, okay. So um, woman, we got, we got a lot to cover. And this is, this is like following last week's episode where we dared to have the conversation with um, a dynamic Miss Sari who's um, dual certified SLP and ABA therapist. Um, but um, we're piggybacking on that. It's it's the month for crucial conversations on all things. But um, <laughs> hi, thank you for coming on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. 
Um, folks, please note that it has taken us basically 20 attempts to get here today because like my computer crashed because I don't know what I'm doing. And I did such a bad job of it that I had to then hijack my husband's computer to record on that. And then we had thunderstorms, um, an emotional crisis with two tiny humans, therapy with the tiny human because ours are hard. Um, and Danny's graciously accommodated every single hiccup. So Danny, thank you. Um, okay. So, um, Talk to me. Okay. So when I first met you, you were a CF. So talk to yes. me about what made you want to be an SLP because aren't you from like California originally? <laughs> yes, I am from California. Um, and I'm currently in Indiana and um, <laughs> a bit of a change. Uh -huh. uh, and I always get those funky looks when I say that I am from California and people are like, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, I got into um, speech pathology kind of on a whim. Um, my stepmom is a speech pathologist. I was, you know, 22, fresh out of college, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and it was between speech pathology and a couple other careers, all of which would require me to go back to school. I watched my stepmom in a session and uh, she was she was fabulous and the kids just adored her and it was very hands-on and it was just this wonderful um, experience. And I thought, well, yeah, I think I could do that. And, you know, I wasn't really on fire about it initially because it was just something that I was going to do. You know, it was going to be my career choice and that was that. But um, I think I got very lucky in the sense that my whim turned into um, essentially one of the things that I feel like I'm put on this earth to do. So I think I got really lucky in that regard. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Okay. So where, what was your undergrad in? Uh, my undergrad was actually in public relations. Um, I was a communications major. I had actually started as an English major and then I had a not great English class. Um, she wrecked my, like she tore my writing apart. And I was like, well, I don't want to be an English teacher if it means that I can't because I didn't adhere to the standards for that paper um, necessarily. And I was <laughs> you like, mean you're an, you mean you didn't play by the rules? What? 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 <laughs> no. Um, and so she just I mean, she tore me apart and I was like, wow, it really it took the fun out of writing for me. And writing is something that I can always go back to. So I was like, well, I don't want to be an English teacher. And I, funnily enough, actually took a um, public speaking class and did a persuasive speech on autism, um, uh, donating to Autism Speaks. We had to talk to the class about why they should donate to our organization. And I um, have a younger cousin who has a diagnosis of autism. And so Autism Speaks was the organization that I chose. And I felt comfortable up there talking to people. And so I switched my major after that class. And then I was a PR major. Um, but then found that PR wasn't helping people or like it was harder to see like how I was helping people or anything like that. So anyways, um, took a year off and then got into speech. And here I am. Okay. So then you did grad school at Linda Lump. Lumen? Loma Linda. Close. Loma. Oh, I was so close. Okay. So Loma Linda. Yes. And then, and then you on a whim went to North Carolina. Yeah. So I found and Leah and Julianne in North Carolina and they were a peds feeding and swallowing clinic. And, um, 
by the grace of God, they took a chance on me. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, which is perfect. And that's how I met you. And then you took a a traveling position and went to the Midwest, right? So I actually have been in four days, I will have been living in Indiana for a whole year, which is really funny to me because my assignment was only supposed to be four months. Um, And then I extended (laughs) because um, I loved the kids that I was working with. I liked the setting. I just really felt it just, it felt, to be honest, it felt like a God thing. Like you've got to stay here. And I was like, okay, (laughs) all right, I'll stay in Indiana. And then um, the opportunity to move into a different city. Um, So I'm now in South Bend, Indiana. That came and I was like, all right, I guess so. And I just, you know, now I'm here. I've been here since January and I will plan on being here for a while, I think. So nice. Okay. So, so your, your current setting, and I mean, is at an autism therapy center, which is just absolutely amazing to me that you have this beautiful collaborative setting and, um, folks, um, I know this, but y'all don't, but Danny is not dual certified BCBA. No, no, she is just the SLP who works with a whole bunch of BCBAs, which means that you're going at this from like a very different, beautiful, fresh set of eyes, right? Yes. We'll say that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then, okay. So then, um, let's, let's, let's take it from the top. So now that we have our stage set, um, we, um, so enter in, um, young, spunky, um, highly educated, wait, and we forgot the best part. You just started your SLPD. Oh my gosh. I did. Yes. I started my SLPD. If I ever write a memoir, I feel like the title would be, Remember that one time I started my SLPD in the middle of a pandemic because it was one of those things where I was like, um, I tried to talk myself out of it multiple times after I'd sent in the application and everything. Um, luckily, I have a pretty good support system. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of went into it, to be honest, on a bit of a whim. It had been something that I'd wanted to do for a while. And then, yeah, I mean, here we are. I- I got the bright idea and the opportunity to start a feeding clinic at a university in the middle of a pandemic when we can't do face-to-face therapy. So right, like, there you go. <laughs> look at us with our, our half pla- half-hatched planned ideas. Yes. That's great. Beautiful. Okay. All right. So talk to me about what does a feeding therapy session look like for you within ABA? setting. And we will, folks, we will speak to the um, scope of practice encroachment versus roles and responsibilities. Yeah. So fret not, we will have those conversations. <laughs> um, I mean, it's actually, it's pretty cool. You know, you have, it's not like, so when I was at SCSS, it was an outpatient setting. Um, the majority of the kids I've been working at for this ABA clinic, this company for almost, almost a year now. And I have been at two separate locations, actually three separate locations, sorry. And so the first location, we had some outpatient kids that would come in. Um, But these two locations that I'm at right now, all of the kids that I see are there for ABA, either half day or full day. So it's actually 
The way that I try to describe it is it's like if I were a school SLP, the kids are coming from the classroom and they're dropped off at the speech room and then we conduct our sessions and then they are come, you know, they're picked up and then they're returned to their, to their classroom or their ABA room. Are they there? How many hours were they there for? I believe it varies. It's usually about eight to four if they're there full or I'm sorry, eight thirty to four or nine to four around there. Um, okay. So it's a full day. It's it's like a school day. If they're there, you have some kids that are there uh, part time a.m. or part time p.m. And um, so that varies a little bit. But, you know, they're dropped off by their RBT. And then I do. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What's an RBT? I believe huh, it is a registered behavior technician, I believe. Oh, OK. A line therapist. That's what I think that like. Okay, that's what we call them here in South Carolina is a okay. live therapist. Okay, yes, gotcha. so they are the ones that are working one-on-one with the patient during the day and they're carrying out the programming and stuff. So yeah, the RBT drops them off and then picks them up. Rarely do I see parents. Um, in fact, I don't ever really see parents unless a parent requests or I request that a parent comes in. So that's different than the outpatient setting where the parents are really involved or if you're doing um, any home visits like we were at SCSS, you know, then you're very involved. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. All right. So let's just start with the gate because I'm already like hot under the collar. <laughs> so like about, um, <laughs> okay. So my personal experience with um, ABA therapist and feeding was um, I had gone into a ABA school, much like what you just described, mm-hmm. and I was seeing a patient once a week um, for feeding therapy. The little one um, had autism spectrum disorders, but was um, born typically developing other than the fact that the little one had a cardiac um, a congenital heart disease. So roughly six months of age, went in for cardiac repair, had exclusive breastfeeding right up until then, right? Exclusively Mm -hmm. breastfed. Coded on the table, they resuscitated him. And when he came to, he had, um, I guess it was, he was down long enough in a noxic event that he uh, uh, lost his ability to set up a rhythmic suck swallow. Okay. So he had a feeding tube. So when I got him at four and a half. He'd been through several other feeding therapists, um, but he was um, clearly aspirating on anything mm-hmm. more advanced than a puree, right? Like we had mm-hmm. the instrumental swallow exam from Charleston, good swallow study. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just had premature spillage and was it was just pouring straight in because it was like piecemeal deglutition, um, right. kind of like Parkinson's. It looked like Parkinson's on the instrumental. Hmm. So, uh, you know, we were slowly working on what you do with an advanced viscosity, right? right. And I walked in and, you know, the our, what you would call RBT for me, it was the line therapist was always in there with me and was quietly observing. Sweet, mm-hmm. cute little 18-year-old kid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, wow, I feel really old saying that. But like <laughs> always, always observing, right? I walked in the door um, after a couple weeks in. And um, there was a quote unquote, um, what is it called? It wasn't a feeding protocol, but um, you know how like they have their chart with like their program, feeding right, program. programming. Yes, protocol. I was pretty close. And there was a bag of checks mix right there with <sighs> nuts. 
nuts in it. For the love of Pete, there was even nuts in it. Okay. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And so like, I'm just sitting there and I'm looking and I'm like, and my accent gets really thick when I get upset. And this was years ago before I had tapered and behaved myself as much as I do now. And I said, now, darling, can you tell me what it is that you've been working on? And the sweet little line therapist goes, now, Miss Michelle, we've done exactly what you've been doing. We've been touching it, kissing it, licking it, biting it, and working on swallowing it just like you do. I was like, fantastic. Um, can you please go get your BCBA for me? Okay. Um, when he's not allergic to nuts, but like half the kids in the building are. So like, that's fantastic. And two, we were not working on Chexmas consistency. We were looking on like mixed consistency, like uh-huh. cheeky pot pie shredded. The uh-huh. BCBA comes around the corner, puts her hand on her hip and players her cute little nostril with her uh, nose ring sticking in it. And, um, says to me, you want to talk to me? And oof, like all I'm, I'm hot. Right. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I do. Um, And she goes, we're allowed to work on a behavioral based feeding disorder. And folks, let me be perfectly clear. It is within the roles and responsibilities of BCBAs to work on behavioral based feeding disorders. However, this child was not behavioral based feeding disorders. And if you know your literature, then you know that that's only two to 3% of the population for pediatric feeding disorders. So I smile and I said, yes, ma'am. But, um, uh, ma'am, he is aspirating, um, and this is not behavioral based. And she goes, what's aspiration? And it's like at that point that I like visually start, like, like I'm having to check my own body language cause I'm so upset. And I was like, he does not know how to manipulate an advanced bolus. And she said, what's a bolus. And that's where in Michelle land, I reached over and ripped out her nose ring. Now I did not do that by the grace of God, but like, I like visualized doing that. And I was like, we have a problem. We're going to talk to, um, the family. And we did. And the family chose to go with having the BCBAs do therapy as opposed to the SLP on the grounds that they got to have them 30 to 35 hours a week. And I said, if you're going to do that, then I have to leave. Because I cannot have them watch what I'm doing and misinterpret that and act outside of the roles and responsibilities and utilize scope of practice encroachment. So that's my baggage. That's where I'm at. That was my last experience going into that facility. Um, Since then, I've had excellent working relationships with other BCBAs, but there's my drama. I behaved. I did not rip the nose ring out. You'd be very proud. Good for you. Wonderful. Yes. But what yeah. is it? Are you dealing with that? Do you deal with scope of practice encroachment? I would say I'm very lucky with the BCBAs that I've worked with um, because, to be honest, all of them are very receptive. Some awesome. of them I might, yeah. So some of them I might have to be a little more firm, which is actually quite hard. It's been, this has been a good experience because it makes, <laughs> I have to be on it. Like I have to know my stuff. So that when I do approach this conversation, you know, um, I, I make sure that I'm providing enough education um, and everything like that. So there are some BCBAs that, you know, you might encounter that need a little bit more education in terms of, or a little bit more of like a, a clear line, like, hey, this is the line and I need this is my side of the line and this is where we kind of overlap and everything like that. Um, so you might have to have 
a little more conversation with some BCBAs, but uh, for the most part, I feel like I've gotten really lucky and the people that I've worked with have been very receptive, um, you know, to what is within my scope um, and they've heard me and listened. So, um, you know, I do feel like I'm quite lucky in that regard. Nice. Okay. Okay. So then how, so they bring them to you. We'll go back before mm-hmm. we went off on like our personal baggages because we all carry, <laughs> I mean, like we do, we carry the baggage and those pre-existing relationships frame Absolutely. your future ones. So they bring them to your room and you're working, but what does it look like there? Do they have food available do, um, to them or do they pack their own foods? How does that work? Yeah, so foods are sent in um, by the family. I really like that because it gives me an opportunity to go, no, this should never be consumed by this child, or not never, but let me do my job before this child touches this food, please. So it gives me an opportunity to go, hey, you know, I this is this is not appropriate, and this is why. Um, so just kind of further educating, you know, this is this type of texture, and this kiddo is having a hard time with this, and um, so the family send in food. I have. My clinic manager, you know, I gave her a list of foods that I want in uh, at my, you know, in my room so that I can have them in case I see the kid at a time, maybe after lunch, you know, sometimes because my schedule is packed, you know, and my sessions are back to back. So I don't necessarily have the flexibility to see every feeding kiddo during lunchtime, although that's preferred. Um, so a lot of times feeding time with me is their more or less their snack time. So I have a lot of resources in terms of different textures and stuff like that in my office. Um, so I have those available in case, you know, they've already eaten their lunch for the day or they're not hungry yet or whatever it might be. Do you see a lot of children that have celiac or EOE or food allergies in general? I see a lot of children that I suspect that. that So that's one of the harder parts for me, at least, working in this specific setting, is I feel like there are a lot more middlemen. When I was working at SCSS, I could directly communicate to mom or dad who was sitting in the room and go, you know, I'm a verbal processor. So I could go, hey, mom, you know, I'm really blah, 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 blah. I think maybe we should explore da, 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 da. Um, But I don't have that. So, you know, I have a note that I write and that gets sent home with the kid. So I feel like that's been a little bit harder getting down to or getting to the root of what might be causing certain, you know, behaviors because you do with this population, you know, 100% of my caseload has a diagnosis of autism. All of the kids that I see are diagnosed with autism. So within that, we're going to see some some behaviors. Um, and so it's, I feel like it's kind of a little more difficult to get to the root of that stuff because you have the middlemen and then you have behaviors and it's just, I don't know, it's, I have to play detective a lot more. And I also am calling uh, families a lot more on, you know, outside of my, my nine to five. Yes, exactly. Five. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So um, it's a lot of time outside of the typical workday that I'm calling or recommending, you know, um, or like I said, it's just hard because there's the middleman, you know, hey, I want you to tell your doctor, da, 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 or here, I'll write you a note for da, 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 da. So um, if that makes any sense, or if that answers your question, but I do think there are some of those kids that 
likely have those allergies. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, one other question that I have piggybacking on this. I have seen some of the ABA schools or full day programs here where they, they don't use food as a positive reinforcer. And then I've seen other facilities where they literally have a fish and tackle box. Like it's a literal fish and tackle box. And like each little compartment where you would put like a wiggly worm or a hook now has sugar laden, wheat laden, red dye laden objects. And when I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, but you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, do, do you, is that utilized? Because I'm, I have folks, the reason I ask this is yes, we know allergies and sugar and the damage that they cause, but it also skews mm-hmm. hunger cues Yep. if a child is given snacks all day long as a positive reinforcer for doing a task. So fish and tackle box at your facility. Yep. Um, yes, and um, it's not my favorite. Um, in fact, it's really funny that you bring that up. So growing up, you know, my mom was a fitness instructor, personal trainer, health conscious, and she always said I don't, she didn't like food rewards. And so I grew up not even, never knowing that I would go into speech pathology and never knowing that I would go into speech pathology and be working in an ABA center. And in the back of my mind, I hear my mother's voice going, I don't like food rewards. So I was raised not necessarily, I don't like food rewards. However, I'm still at these particular clinics, I've only been there five months where they've been doing this, you know, they've been using those reinforcers for however long. So that being said, some of these, some of these kids that I see that is the that is one of the only way that's just that's just their how routine. to get them motivated. What was yeah. that? How to get them motivated. Yeah. And so they're motivated by food, which, hey, I get that. I'm motivated by food as well. So I've tried to to ensure that like so I, I love gummy worms for therapy. I love gummy worms. I like letting them get um, a little bit harder. Like I'm a big proponent of using food versus you know, plastic vibrating sticks. You can say that here. This is a comfortable (laughs) Island to be on. We do not. I know that you're the person that I can say that to. So I love last (laughs) night. One of my former students texted me and she goes, so I just saw my clinical supervisor give a highly verbal three and a half year old, a, um, a chewy tube. And the kid goes, Hey, look, mom, I get to practice chewing. This really does look like our dog's chew toy. Hey, look, mom, I'm a puppy. When do I get my puppy bowl? And I was like, and she goes, it really drove home what you told me. And I was like, Oh my God, I have, I couldn't like that actually happened last night on a text message. I was like, congrats kid. I mean, it's like, Okay. So I was a personal trainer in a past life. I feel like I've had a lot of lives. Um, And so in a past life, in my past life, I was a personal trainer and it would be, this is my little soapbox. And then I'll move on and talk about gummy worms. But it would be like, if I had a client come up and say, I want to get better at pushups. And so we did dumbbell chest press. Great. We're going to be strengthening those chest muscles. Wonderful. What is the best way to learn how to brace your core, tighten up your quads, use the other muscles that you use when doing push-ups to do push-ups and to modify the manner in which you do push-ups. So I feel like if we're just targeting 
chewing up and down, we don't get to target, you know, controlling a bolus, like all of the other things that go into mastication versus just the jaw movement. Yes. So, okay. What yes. you just described was the interplay of the central pattern generators for respiration, deglutition, mastication. When you practice a chew only pattern, and this is why I love the boon net feeders, like, uh-huh. or like yes. the silicone net feeders, yes. because I can control the amount of the bolus that comes through. But right. yet when they bite, they do receive an actual bolus and then they have to learn how to control the bolus. Yes. <gasps> I have to phone a friend. This answers a question that she had. They have to learn how to control the bolus <laughs> and connect the other central pattern generators. Right. It's all about, and it has to do with type one, type two muscle fibers. This is a, this is a great side note. Thank you. Tangent, yeah. beautiful tangent. Um, also that really explain Yeah. I was just no, going to say, it's a compound exercise versus an isolation exercise. There's so much more that goes into it in, if you want real life carryover, in my opinion. Um, I, I feel like I just need you to become my new personal trainer because like, I got to face it, like I sprained my ankle walking out of my dog's groomers. So like we have that going for us. God damn. Okay. Wait, okay. We, okay. I do want to ask. I feel like that came from something, but, um, oh, we're talking about gummy worms. worms. I love gummy worms. So sometimes I will use food reinforcement. It's not my favorite. Um, I hear my mother's voice every time, but sometimes I got to work with what I got. And sometimes I have a kid that's highly motivated by food, you know, so sometimes that's, or I'll have a, a kid. Um, in fact, recently I just started with him last week. Um, he is, he's refusing just about everything. But boy, does that kid love his M&Ms. So to um, build some rapport and establish some trust with him when it comes to feeding, I've been working on M&Ms that he's highly reinforced by because now we're establishing what we do in Miss Danny's room. And I think that's really important. So um, starting with something that is reinforcing for him, um, sometimes I do have kids that I need to do that with. And um, I'm glad you brought it up because... Like I said, I just started with this kid and we're using a highly reinforcing um, uh, food item because that's all that he's going to take for me right now until we establish that trust. So, yeah. Yep. Um, folks, we've said it before in past episodes, but if you haven't heard it, feeding therapy has to be positive to neutral at best. The second you leave net neutrality, you're done. You have shot yourself in the foot and ruined behavioral feeding for a kid. So if you see a kid escalating, um, one of my mom refers it to, please don't elicit his butthole face. And I'm like, absolutely. I will not. That's amazing. But it's actually, it's a disgust and fear reflex that make your face go into the butthole face. And so, um, and it's where this little guy actually turns his little lips into his finger. And it's the cutest thing in the entire world. But like, if we, if I see him prepping for that, I'm like, and we're breaking because we don't want that look. But, um, yeah, that's yes. Okay. Now you're there, but your clinic also has OTs. And I feel like the, I love working with a feeding based OT because I don't know how to regulate them. I mean, for some kids, like Aaron and I had this conversation this morning, for some kids, if you swing them, it calms them. For some kids, if you swing them, it overstimulates or it stimulates right. them just to the right point. But 
Otherwise, mm, bad things can happen. But yeah. an OT is the gatekeeper to that. So what is it like working in an ABA center, ABA center with an OT? And how does that help? I mean, it just really helps you provide more information. Uh, I mean, you have more information in your toolbox. Um, so, you know, to be honest, um, I'm not a very ego-driven clinician. However, I do like to try to figure out how I can speak to the child when they are with me in my room. So I, you know, I'll try a few things, but that being said, I do like to um, ask OT, you know, if it's a kid that we're both seeing, hey, what, what are you using with this kid? Like, how, how do you help regulate them? What are some things that I can do? Sometimes I'll try for a couple of my kids, I try to see them after they have OT. Um, so I try to schedule it that way so that they go, they have OT, and then they come into my room, be it for speech or feeding. There are certain kids that I prefer to have OT prior to their session with me, just because, to be honest, it makes my job easier because the child's regulated. Um, and yeah. like the OTs are the gatekeepers there. So having the OT um, in the clinic as well and being able to collaborate, I mean, I feel like I've been really, I was really blessed at SCSS because Miss Ashley is a fabulous OT and she really, um, for me, it was, she was very accessible, very collaborative. And uh, she taught me a lot about um, what, what can happen when SLPs and OTs collaborate specifically in the feeding realm. And so I really feel like it just helps put more tools in my toolbox where maybe a kid is not regulated that day. Um, instead of going, ah, and the kid and I sit and stare at each other and we both go, ah, I can go, okay, you know, OT said that they like this, this, and this. And then we can try to do a little bit of that um, in our sessions. So it's just more tools in the toolbox, more information about the kid, more pieces to the puzzle. I have 400 additional questions. Um, <laughs> when when you guys are writing out your plan of cares, do, because of this setting, like I write, like if I, I'm by myself, right? So when I write a plan of care, I'm writing a plan of care on my own. Mm -hmm. But are you guys, because it's kind of set like a school, do you have mm -hmm. to sign in as an IEP, as like a team plan? No. Do you write your plan in isolation? Like how does that work? I write the plan in isolation. The POC is for me. Um, it's what we'll be doing in therapy. Um, however, um, the not documented portion is the carryover that's being given or the, the information that's being given to the RBTs, the BCBAs. Um, I give information to the clinic manager um, so that everybody's on board. So that's something that's not necessarily documented um, like an IEP might be but it's, you know, it's crucial to the kid's success. So the POC is written for me. What are we going to do in my session? Um, there are um, goals, you know, introducing. So if I have a kid that has, you know, a limited food repertoire and they're only eating one protein, like I'll have goals that can be achieved. I'll write the goals so that they can be achieved in us in either the speech setting, the ABA setting or at home. Um, you know, so I'll write some goals like that, but they're, the POCs are for me for the most part. Okay. Cause I'm just, I, I just wondered because I get that question a lot. Like how do we write yeah. a goal for like feeding for um, within a school? 
And I didn't know if yeah. it was, um, and Emily Homer, y'all, Emily Homer is the person to check on that because she, her, she's got webinars every week. Oh, she's got a really good one on the Asha Pass. Sorry. Ooh. It's really, really good. And I had her on the podcast, but like, and her website even has examples of like documents. So okay. I, I really, I really like her. Okay. All right. So here's the, here's the meat of, and we had the potatoes. Now here's the meat of this. How have you navigated discussing feeding and swallowing with other therapists and management within the clinic? And y'all, this is what Erin was talking about on our therapy tip Thursday that we posted back on Instagram. Also, our hair looks amazing in that one. I was very jealous. Um, but uh, ha- the crucial conversations go. <laughs> um, I mean, it hasn't been easy. I started in this setting as a brand new... I mean, I, I was, I had finished my CF, um, but I had a lot of support at SCSS, you know, and then I entered this clinic and I am the only SLP and it was like, whoa, um, I really need to, you know, I'm, I'm the go-to SLP here. So, um, I feel like I was so blessed with my, my Marion clinic shout out to them because they were so receptive. Um, I mean, they really didn't question me a lot, which was, um, I was, I was like, are you, are you sure you you don't want to question me? You don't want to make sure that I'm on top of it because I was like, what I'm saying goes. And that makes me very nervous. Um, but they were just so willing to collaborate and it was really wonderful. And I feel like that gave me the confidence to then have the more crucial, um, a little bit more uh, firm, if you will, those conversations that, um, you know, you have to approach. It's it's a fine line, as you know, you know, interpersonal communication is a very fine line because you have to, um, it's like standing your ground and, and standing up for your field and your scope while being able, while showing that you're still collaborative and let's work together. I don't want to isolate myself by saying, Hey, this is not within your scope. Um, so having those hard conversations, I've really just tried to approach it. Like this is what's us working together and us understanding, um, what's within our scope and what's not is what's best for the kid. Um, and I've also made it a point to ask questions, um, about behaviors. Um, are there things that I can be doing in my feeding sessions or my speech sessions, um, that you guys are working on programming wise outside of them, you know, so asking questions, what was that? I need an example. What do you mean behaviors? Can you give me like an example? Yeah. So, uh, well, there are certain kids that, uh, so see, I'm trying to think of a specific one so that I can. So if I have a a kiddo that has SIBs or self-injurious, is it injurious, injurious, uh, self-injurious behaviors? Um, what is, what do I do if, you know, kiddo starts having these behaviors because they're escalated for either it, you know, I escalated them by, Hmm. I'm sorry, challenge. They're escalated. I'm thinking like trying a challenge food that can be an escalating stressful event. Exactly. Introducing something new, um, anything. Uh, and sometimes it's as simple as placing a placing a, a demand, if you will. So, you know, saying, okay, come sit down. Sometimes dependent upon the day that can elicit an SIB. And so what do I do when this kiddo has an SIB? 
Um, should I call you in so that you can help me ensure that the kiddo is as safe as, you know, possible? And so, um, you know, that's been something that's also total side note. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a BCBA. I'm not necessarily, I'm not at all trained in managing behaviors. Um, So that's something that's been really awesome about the ABA clinic is I'm able to call help into my room to ensure that I'm doing what's best for the kid to keep them safe. Um, So beautiful. That's, that's collaboration. That's wonderful. Um, so, you know, I really tried to open the door for collaboration by asking questions, um, and trying to approach it with, um, you know, I don't, because when I approach it, I don't want it to sound accusatory. Like, oh, I saw that you have this on the file. Why do you have this? You know, like trying to approach <laughs> it. Like, order them in their office and be yes. like, why are you working with nuts? Right. Yeah, okay. um, I've learned, I've evolved in the last seven years. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just opening that door and, and making it dialogue versus a monologue, um, because that opens the door for them to ask questions. Um, because here's the thing is these things that these discussions that we're having don't just apply to the one patient that we're talking about. They apply to, um, patients that this BCBA might have X amount of years down the road when they're working with a completely different SLP or when they're not working with an SLP, but then they go, Oh, Hey, this is probably a time where I should refer to an SLP. So it's, you know, having, making it a a dialogue and allowing opening up that space for asking questions and making it a conversation and clarifications on both ends. You know, I think that's really important and that's how I've tried to approach it. Um, because then, you know, like I said, then everybody, you have better buy-in. Um, I always learn something. I always walk away from those conversations, learning a little bit more about, um, what I can be doing for that kid. Like there's, I just feel like, if you open that door, then it's so much more collaborative and it's not as tense, if you will. Yes. Okay. So can you give me an example of like, when is it appropriate to kind of, um, I don't want to say like allow them to participate in a home exercise program, but like a carry over activity. Like when is, when is that allowed? Um, my personal, this is me personally, um, it's when I know that the child's going to be safe. Um, so when I know, so for certain textures and stuff like that, um, you know, something that I know, like we've ruled out, um, aspiration penetration. Um, so for example, I, there's a kid that has, um, he has some some mastication difficulties. Um, and I've said, Hey, I am so okay with you guys trying having him have gummy bears because, um, you know, that's really going to help. And that's, I see him for a half hour, you know, so try uh, it serves the child more if I can give them something that they can be working on. That's, I don't want to say that's therapeutic. It's, it's hard. It's so hard. You ask a really good question, but, um, I would say when I know that a child's going to be safe. Um, so almost when they've, for lack of a better term, when they've mastered that skill, that texture, whatever it is, when they've mastered that with me, then I go, okay, now I feel like we can work on that because it's not an RBT or a BCBA's job to, um, 
uh, I'm trying to give, you know, for like uh, examples, it's not their job to notice jaw weakness, right? Or slowed mastication. So I make sure that, um, that the kiddo is okay to chew this. He can break down this bolus completely with this particular texture. Um, so I am okay if they work on this particular food in the ABA session, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's what I was looking for because that's where the collaboration Mm-hmm. That's where, if it is a behavioral feeding disorder that has, that is the result of um, aspiration, mm-hmm. we, they can't participate. But if we ruled that out and it's something that they are safe to carry over, especially mm-hmm. if they're going to offer food reinforcement or food rewards. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, um, Okay, now you and I had a sidebar conversation in the middle of scheduling this for like 30 seconds time. Um, And uh, we were talking about how you were working with just educating staff on what like signs and symptoms of aspiration were. Yeah, so um, the staff that I'm working at at one of the clinics that I'm at right now, um, I came in and saw that they had... um, they had a quote unquote aspiration protocol um, for one of the kids that I was going to be seeing for a feeding eval. Um, I was doing their chart review, if you will. And uh, I opened the aspiration protocol and it was to call if the child aspirates, call a code blue um, and call the parent in to come, you know, and it was this whole thing. And it was like, whoa, hold on. And it came from, um, I wanted to hug them all because it came from a, it came from such a good place. It really did. Um, because they had an experience where a child came in on thickened liquids or was supposed to be on thickened liquids. And, um, the parents sent in thin liquids. Kiddo had thin liquids that day. The next day she went to the hospital for aspiration pneumonia, or it was something of that nature. So then after that, it was, we have firm aspiration protocols in place. Um, this is what we need to do if a child aspirates, just because they were worried, they were concerned for the safety of their patients. So it came from such a good place, right? They just wanted to do right by these children. But I had to look at my clinic manager and I had to say, hold on, please, please don't call it code blue. Um, if you think a child is aspirating, because here's the thing, we don't know if they're aspirating at bedtime, <laughs> you know, and I, and once I explained that it was as simple as just saying, Hey, you know, we don't know. And, and, the, and going down kind of the rabbit hole, if you will, and explaining it to them. Um, and then my clinic manager was like, Oh, Oh, okay. And you could see that she was probably carrying what happened to that one child, you know, and I also had to tell her that, um, just because she had thin liquids with you guys the day before you were, I could probably guarantee that child had been having thin liquids for a while. So, um, you know, let's just take that burden off of your shoulders. Um, but you know, it's been a lot of education and it's been a lot of not just saying don't have this aspiration protocol, um, because hello, that's where we can get, you know, that clash, right. If I just say, don't do this, but it's been, okay, this is why. Um, and providing that education, um, providing that why. Um, shout out to Dr. Sharp for ingraining that in my brain during grad school. Um, you know, if they know 
making sure that they know the why. Why are we not having this aspiration protocol? Uh, because we don't know if a child's aspirating. Um, so it's been shifting it to, okay, let's say there's not a speech therapist in the building because in some of the buildings there aren't speech therapists. Okay, so what do we do? What can you do when you have a child that comes in with thickened liquids? Um, and so it's been shifting it a little bit um, or a history what was that? It's shifting into education. You have been doing an excellent job at education. And that gets back to this is a two-way street. Yeah. We can't we can't shut down and say, oh, ABA therapy is bad because it's no. it's not all bad. And ABA therapists can't shut down and say, oh, SLPs are bad because we're not all bad. I mean, some of us ain't great. Trust me, been there. Right. I've had some pretty terrible days. But <laughs> that we have to, yup. <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and realized I had not submitted the report for an AAC device when I was changing dog's diaper. Because dog oh, no. now has diapers because she's on Lasix. Okay? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I just thought we were done with that stage of our life. No. But no. Dog lived and now I have to change your butt in the middle of the night. Oh God, dog. But, um, but like it's, we have to, so don't judge us by one day's events, right? Yeah. But it's, we have to hold the conversations and be willing yeah. to collaborate. And that's, God, I wish I could go back and tell Michelle that from like several years ago to like, not just like literally close the door and walk out of that ABA building, but like go back and be like, Hey, but we could do this different. But yeah. I was just so... I didn't know what I didn't know, you know? I mean, like, well, it's so, it's hard um, because whether you're within the same field or different fields, personalities can clash. Um, you know, it's, it's so, it's hard to have those conversations too um, because it's, I mean, it's just hard. You want to defend your field and you want to advocate for your child, but the thing is, and the thing that I tried to focus on is that at the end of the day, all that we all want to do, PT, OT, SLP, BCBA, RBT, we're there for the kid. And it's a disservice to my patients, to our patients. If I go in, nose up, you know, ready to battle anyone that steps into my lane and, you know, I mean, it's a disservice to my patient because there are things that I can be learning from the BCBA. Like I said, there are, I'm learning every day. I'm asking questions every day. And I think that's, um, that's the bottom line is we, we have the opportunity to really be collaborative in a really cool way. I think that this setting really is so unique in the sense that if I have a kid that comes into outpatient and I see them and I'm, you know, doing, I'm recommending whatever, whatever my recommendations might be for that outpatient child, um, I can give those to mom. Um, but then mom is only with them in the evenings and on the or mornings, evenings, weekends. What about teacher where they're in school all day and the staff there at the school? And so then it's, those are however many people that we need to communicate with. And then, you know, it's like a, it can be a game of telephone sometimes where in the ABA setting, I truly pass the child off to the person that's going to be with them the majority of the day. And um, I'm able to say, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm able to say, hey, you know, if mom brings in 
this, please don't feed it to them. And then again, why? Because I'm concerned about X, Y, Z. Um, you know, and Wait, it's- Wait, give me an example. If mom brings in um, a sliced so, meat, can you chop um, it up? Is that what you're, um, that's where I'm going. Yep. So different modifications. So um, I have, or I have a kid right now that's in feeding therapy and mom sends in spaghetti. Drives me bonkers. Um, spaghetti with chicken. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's cut up the, like, let's cut it up. Let's maybe break down the noodles a little bit. And I go in and I show them, hey, look, this is what I want you to do. Um, and then the cool thing is I can get a, you know, a radio, hey, Danny, uh, what were we supposed to do? Or mom brought in this soup. Should we feed him soup? And you're like, ah, and you're like, no. And then it's like, this is why. And so you're able to give that education. And it's those, you're directly dealing with the people that are with the child the majority of the day. And then it does, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to then get in contact with parents and communicate that all via phone or, um, and stuff like that. But aside from that, you're interacting with the people with the child in the environment that they're in five days a week, the majority of the time, you know? So I think it's a really neat setting. Um, and it makes me sad that, um, it's such a hot topic in the SLP realm. Um, you know, and I understand it comes from a, that there are probably some not great ABA clinics. Um, just like you said, though, there are some not great BCBAs and there's some not great SLPs and that's just the way that it is. So I feel like there are so many opportunities for wonderful collaboration if we allow it to happen. Okay. All right. So we've covered some of the cons, especially with like difficulty reaching families and Mm -hmm. and those kind of things. And you've covered some of your pros, but what is, what is your, your biggest um, frustration and what is your biggest positivity? Let's do the frustration one first because I I like to end on positive. I don't want to end on a negative. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard. Um, my I would say sorry. My I hear dog. the puppy. Oh my gosh, sorry. He's such <laughs> no, a ham. Um, he's he's like you haven't been paying attention to me in the past thirty minutes. What's happening? Um, so the biggest frustration. It's really hard. Um. I would say the biggest frustration, um, and I think it's because I was spoiled at SCSS in terms of the setting. Um, I could go in, you know, I was doing a lot of home therapy as well. Um, so I have to be, I have to get really creative. And sometimes that can be frustrating um, where things aren't as accessible or the family's food is not as accessible. Like there were some houses where I would walk in and open the fridge and there was all the food that I wanted. And we could go, Hey, let's work on this today. You know, I don't really love a lot. Oh, I love um, that. Yes. Yeah, that was my favorite. Um, uh, or, you know, I had a mom that would prepare a meal just for feeding therapy. And so it's kind yes. of, it's the best. <laughs> so you just, um, I would say one of the frustrations is just, um, I have to just try to really get creative with, um, some of the foods, some. I just lost you, Danny. Danny. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just lost you. Oh, oh wait. Are you, you there? I Yes. You blipped out there for a second. You said I have to get really creative <laughs> there with some of the foods right at the end. Folks, I can't make this up. This is exactly what happened last time. But this is not my last time this time. I No. All right. Okay. I'm back. Everything is fine. 
All is well. <laughs> I'm sweating a little bit now. I got very nervous. Oh, God. Oh, I need to put my heart back where it was. This contributes to why I had to wear a heart monitor for two weeks. Okay. I don't have all the resources available to me that I'm used to having. So I cool. have to get a little creative sometimes. Oh, okay. So then what was, what is your, what is your most favorite part? What is your most, your biggest positivity here? Um, my biggest positivity is the amount of people that you get to share wins with. Um, because you, I would never have that. Yeah. You're so for example, this morning we got an email that I got an email that one of the kids that I wrote a report for an AAC device that got approved and I got to send it to like five different people informing them, Hey, we got this, we got his device and all five people, you know, I mean, I know that they're just as jacked up as I am about it. And um, so you get to celebrate those wins um, with a bunch of different people versus, you know, you, you can do that in the outpatient, you know, you have parents there and that's, that's so cool when you get to see that interaction with parents, but um, you're, you're really working with a team. And so this, this team, you go, Hey, so-and-so did this today. And everyone's like, Oh, that's so awesome. And the clinic manager is like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And you're like, yes. And the OT's like, woohoo. And the BCBA and the RBTs. And it's just, it's so cool. Um, and it makes those small wins um, feel bigger. And sometimes we need those small wins to feel big. Um, so I would say that would be one of my, my major positives about this setting. I love that. Okay. All right. So we have to like, switch over to questions and I have like 14 different follow-up questions. So I will probably be like, Danny, you want to come back in the future? <laughs> but um, I have to tell you, thank you. Thank you for building a bridge on, on behalf of our profession. Thank you for building a bridge with another profession that let's be honest, we both give each other a bum rap sometimes, but you're, you're doing more than your fair share to help rectify that. So thank you. Well, I feel like yeah. the people that I work with have made it easy. Um, so I think I got, I, I got the jackpot in terms of colleagues. So. Nice. nice. Okay. Well, um, I get to brag on you for a second. Um, so Danny's, um, Danny and her, in her off time is doing something really, really inspirational. And at a moment in history, when, Crucial conversations on all fronts are key and we have to boldly say that Black Lives Matter. We also have to boldly say that Black Autistic Lives Matter. So can you talk to us about what you are doing with your local police department? Yeah, so um, this another thing that Danny's done on a whim. Um, <laughs> Um, I was, I was raised in, you know, my dad, uh, is former sheriff's department. So what's going on right now? Um, my personality, I was like, I have to do something. Um, but you know, I'm, I was like, I don't know what I can do. And so I, I wanted to see if I could, I can't bridge all the gaps right now in all of the world. Um, but I thought, can I help to maybe bridge the gap between law enforcement and our individuals with 
um, disabilities. And so I reached out to like five or six local police and sheriff's departments, and one of them got back <laughs> to me. <laughs> and um, that's the department that I'm working with right now. And we are, uh, they have state mandated uh, disabilities training, um, but it's for specific diagnoses. So here's what you do if you encounter someone with autism. Here's what you do if you encounter someone with dementia. And um, so I went and sat down to just kind of talk about what was in place in terms of this training. And the officers were, um, you know, they said, we don't, we don't know. We can't diagnose, you know, like we don't go out to a call and go, hmm, let me get out my checklist and see if this individual has a diagnosis of autism. Um, so two things that we're working on is um, I'm trying to broaden, which is not something that us SLPs like. We like to hone in on things. Um, so I'm trying to broaden their um, their training. And instead of focusing on specific diagnoses, um, focusing more on behaviors of individuals with communication impairments, um, both receptive and expressive language impairments, um, cognitive impairments. So we're kind of trying to broaden it um, so that they know how to approach specific be behaviors versus how to approach a specific diagnosis um, because that's not what they're there to do. Um, they're not there to approach and diagnose. They're there to handle a situation. Um, so while I was talking with them about this, um, they said, you know, we really, we wish more parents knew about this form. And I, after doing some research, um, most places call it a 911 disability indicator form. And basically what it is, is Johnny's mom can call her local dispatch, the non-emergency line, and she can say, hey, my child Johnny has, you know, he has autism. He uses a communication device. Um, he does have, you know, if he's approached by somebody he doesn't know, he might get aggressive. So now let's say something happens and Johnny runs away. Um Johnny's mom calls 911. When they pull up the address, there's Johnny's information. And then the dispatch is able to give that to law enforcement. And they're able to say, hey, this child or this individual has a communication device. And hey, he might get aggressive when you approach him because that's just more information. So instead of, and I mean, it was just. Instead of and, reacting on the defense. Yes. Everybody's informed so, going in. And you see these two, and like I said, this is close, near and dear to my heart because my dad is former sheriff's department, but I saw these two gentlemen that you can tell that they're carrying the weight of what's going on right now. And this guy said, one of the officers, he looked at me and he said, if we have that information, he said, I'm going to react differently. Different. He said, I'm not, he goes, I'm not going to handle it the way that I would handle it if somebody that didn't have this diagnosis or, you know, whatever he said, if somebody took a swing at me, he goes, I'm going to go and do what I'm trained to do. He said, but I'm not going to do that. If I have this information, he said, I'm going to be better able to handle this situation in a safe manner for both myself and that individual. And it's just, it was like, I said, do people know this? Like, is this, am I behind? Like, is this something that I'm just now no, learning no. about and everybody knows I, this? And he said that they've, they've come across one. And I was like, oh 
my goodness. Like it was, it was, it was beyond me that, that this is one, not something that we're taught in school um, as, as such big advocates for our patients or two, you know, it's just this, I was just like, I need to go and shout this from the rooftops. Like everybody needs to know this because it was just, um, I mean, talk about bridging the gap or just, I don't know. So anyways, that's what we're working on right now. Um, okay. So I need to connect you and folks, if you're listening, there's an uh, organization, a nonprofit organization in town and it's called serve and connect. And it was founded by, um, Boo Bear's, um, very good friends, mommy, her name's, um, um, Casey Aaliyah and, I always butcher her last name, but um, her husband lost his life in the line of duty. Mm. And this is something that's near and dear to my heart. My granddaddy was a state trooper. My great granddaddy was um, town sheriff. Um, (laughs) I have a brother-in-law that runs SWAT. Um, And so um, this is, but this is something that we can do. Serve and Connect's whole purpose is about bridging, bridging, um, police with the community and having a different conversation. So I specifically, Danny, need you to talk with Casey because the two of you together could create something profound. But um, y'all, this is something that you can do outreach in your community on. Talk about the 911 disability forms and then take it back to your state association conventions and educate your peers and talk to them about this tool. And somebody out there, please put in a call for papers for ASHA 2022. Wait, no, 2021. What's next year? 2021. Ugh, I should probably look at a calendar. Um, but this is something that we can help. We are helpers. We are called to this profession to be helpers. And this is, God, I love you. You're amazing. Okay. People follow her. Her blog is delightful. It's called the messy SLP. We have to switch over for questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hold tight. Okay. Yes. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Bye.